Hello, this is Stephen Krein. I'm here with my podcast partner, Dan Sullivan. It's the Free Zone Frontier Podcast, and we've got a great guest as usual, but this one in particular is my first collaborator in the Free Zone Frontier, Nick Nanton. Great to see you, Nick. Great to see you. I'm excited for part two here. We got some fun stuff to talk about. Yeah, you know, Nick, I was intrigued on the last segment about how you've used the last 15 months to really transform your business in ways that maybe we're on a wish list, maybe we're on a, you called the laundry list of things that you were changed. But I think one of the things that's become so apparent is the kind of content or media that people are consuming in 2021, middle of 2021, I think is radically different than they were consuming in early 2020. Can you talk a little bit about that transformation from your perspective? Yeah. So it's really interesting. I've been doing a lot of work with this last nine months or so with financial advisors. I think they're a great example to talk about. A financial advisor three years ago, maybe, would send their client like an annual update or would meet them with them once a year to see if we're on track, you know, probably more like five years ago. But then they started getting to like, the, oh, uh, we'll do quarterly updates. And like, you know, that was like big news. And then there's monthly updates. It's like, those guys are crazy with monthly updates. And now we're in a world full of what I call real-time storytelling. I mean, the story is happening all around you. And if you do not get involved in that story, you're going to become irrelevant really quickly. And so, as state of a profession as financial advisors are and how there's compliance and there's all these, like we've been able to find ways to help our advisor clients share their stories in real time with the world from everything from podcasting and YouTube videos to what we call snackable videos, little three to five minute segments of like just really meaty segments from their podcast and YouTube video and showing up regularly with a cadence and a rhythm on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. And I mean, before the pandemic, I mean, I don't know many financial advisors who are looking at Instagram as a viable way to communicate with their wealthy clients. And it wasn't, by the way, that they weren't already there. It was the fact that we had somehow just franken-businessed our way to convincing ourselves that that wasn't probably a viable solution. So I think there's a lot we could talk about, about storytelling this day and age, and media is just a medium for sharing stories. So we have, you know, Clubhouse, right? Like great timing. Is that ultimately a technology that's really, it'll be really interesting to see what they do with Clubhouse because it's so duplicable, it would seem, in so many other places, but they've sort of built a following as becoming a space known for these things. I think the thing to realize is that every new media that comes out, you have to look to see, well, objectively, is my audience there already or will they be there? And there's an argument if they aren't already there, but they will be there, you should probably start building ahead of time. That's one thing. There's also this discussion to be had of like, you know, does this fit my model? Like my foundation of values is to spend dinner time in the evening with my family. So I really don't go on Clubhouse because it seems like all the stuff's happening like in the evening. I'm sure we could schedule something during the day, but it seems to be super hot like at night. And then I think another thing that's just something to note is we have all of this hyper fast paced you know, snackable content now, which is cool and it's neat and there's ways to engage it. Ultimately, I tell my clients and for me and for them, I hope it 
earns the right for a longer conversation. But I think it would be a really big mistake for people to think that long form media in any way, shape or form is becoming irrelevant. That would be books. That would be documentaries. That would become longer form podcasts. That, and I would just sort of cap this first statement. We can dig in wherever you want with the commitment you gain from someone is equal to the attention that you require. So if you want three to four minutes of my attention, um, my investment in what I'm going to be willing to give you in terms of the value I have to exchange with you, whether that's time or whether it's money, is going to be a microcosm. I'm, I might be willing, if you show me a cool three to five minute video, I might be willing to spend 30 bucks or 50 bucks or 100 bucks. But if you want a bigger commitment from me, you're going to require more of my attention, more of my resources it's very rare you're going to get that in a bite-sized piece of media. So I think people really need to understand what's the type of commitment I'm looking for. If it's just trying to build a relationship further here for free, basically, awesome, man. Deliver all the value you can. Show up as the most valuable personal injury lawyer, financial advisor, investment, like whatever it is that you can and show up that way and build that committed community we talked about. But please do not think that every media format of old is now useless. Those are two things I think are really interesting to talk about because people think that these things are like, they're diametrically opposed somehow, or they're mutually exclusive and they're not. We just have more and more ways now that people are willing to digest stories. But I think there's a lot that goes with that. So that's sort of what I think of when you ask a question like that. Yeah. I mean, as you were describing that, I was reflecting on the media platform at Startup Health that we built around the multiple ways people want to consume those stories. We've been telling stories of the entrepreneurs, you know, in startup health that are transforming health, that are working on their moonshots and letting them tell their story of progress over time. You know, whether it's little nuggets in a little social media share, whether it's a little video interview, whether it's a longer form podcast, whether it's a full segment, it's really been interesting to see how the ongoing ability to enable people to see the progress of these entrepreneurs in these companies is really the big takeaway of, I've been watching them for a year and I've seen them continue to execute. I've been listening and seeing that story unfold and it's amazing they were able to accomplish it. Well, incremental investment too, right? It's incremental investment over time. And now I have a thousand hours invested in this or whatever, like I want to know, right? And so it's cool. Seeing how the story unfolds in, you know, in real time, but over time. Yeah. You know, I think that idea that they're not mutually exclusive, this is about a platform approach to building a audience and keeping them captivated over time to see how it plays out and makes progress. Yeah. yeah. Every business needs to be in the media business. Don't have to do it yourself. You can partner with someone. That's their unique ability. But if you're not in the media business, it's going to be harder and harder to communicate and to get attention because people, as you said now, like, look, I look at YouTube now and I really never focused on YouTube. I think YouTube is still really early in sort of the thought leadership realm. I think it's a little more advanced in entertainment, but in sort of the thought leadership realm, like I look at YouTube and I go, man, if I really understood the game that was being played, I'd invested a lot more in that years ago. But now there's people who are way ahead and you can catch up with time and investment. I think the other thing about media that I think people need to understand too, 
someone was talking about their YouTube channel the other day. And I said, man, I really need to get more out of my YouTube channel too. And I, and they said, well, how are you investing? And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, are you investing in it at like a hobby level or like at a professional level where you expect results? I'm like, Ooh, it was just damning to think like, Oh, wait a second. I actually have to pour in the amount of attention and investment like that I want to get out of it. If I treat it like a hobby, it's always going to give me hobby results if I don't dig in. So. Yeah. Just three insights that I have with my own experience, strategic coach experience with Zoom. And one is that what you realize when you talked about, you know, getting people's attention really fast, quickly, you had to realize that you were competing with people's travel time. Up until 15 months ago, you were competing. Like I got 400 hours back last year, just adding up the travel time, that would be even travel within the city here in Toronto that we haven't done. So that's 400 hours. I bet our team, on average, we have 120 team members. They each got 300 hours back, and they saved about $3,000 each that were travel expenses, gas, parking, everything like that. So, And you're not even touching on mental health and physical health right. benefits that are not as measurable with money or time, but is compounding in life. The other thing, and this is the, exactly the segue to my next point, Steve, and that is that with that time burden, travel time burden gone away, people have gotten clearer about relationship, fundamentally clearer about relationship. And my sense is, you know, just in kind of make you feel better, Nick, about why you're missing out on big opportunities. The one thing that you're really good at is relationship. You've always been really good at relationship. A lot of people who are media experts are really terrible at relationship because they see people as a number. They don't see them as somebody you establish a relationship with and you take care of it. And what we've discovered from podcasting, and Gord Vickman really knows this, that Every podcast audience is unique, that you're an audience for this particular podcast for very, very personal reasons, and there's no one who's actually in competition with you. So my sense is that it goes along with your branding model here, Nick, that you've explained to us before this, that be who you actually are and find all the people in the world who'd like to have a relationship with you and then use technology to enhance the frequency of the relationship, the impact of the relationship as you go along. I just want to tell you a story, and that was we have one of the big five accounting firms because our company is in three countries, Canada, the U.S., and the U.K., and they have a team that all the people talk across the borders so the taxation rules in the UK and Canada, they're all discussed at the same time. So we created this new virtual only program for Strategic Coach. And since last September, we have 400 signups for it. It's really been remarkable. And it's full price, it's US dollars. Everywhere on the planet, it's full price and it's US dollars. It's not cheaper because it's virtual. So we were explaining to the accounting firm, we were saying, you know, all that money gets paid in U.S. dollars, but it all comes to Toronto. And they said, well, no, you know, I mean, 
it's a global workplace that so we're going to have to pay attention to the different jurisdictions where this is taking place. And he said, okay, well, would you tell us the jurisdiction where the workshop's taking place? And he said, well, you said you got Australians and you got Europeans. I said, no, that's where they are, but that's not where the workshop is taking place. And they said, well, where is the workshop taking place? I said, nowhere. <laughs> Cloudlandia. <laughs> it's not taking place anywhere. The place where it's taking place has no taxation and it has no regulation. My sense is that that's one of the reasons why this medium has become super hot. The Zoom numbers are 10 million daily users on March 1st, 2020. March 1st of this year, 500 million daily users. That's a 50 times increase. Have you seen an article written in the Wall Street Journal about this? Have you seen the New York Times talking about it? It's all invisible. And part of the reason is there's no taxation, no regulation. This is a free zone. This is a free zone technological medium. And anybody who's operating in this medium is saying, shh, don't tell anybody that we're doing this. <laughs> it reminds me of that. And you said this years ago about as you were traveling and what you had to claim as products or things that you're bringing with you. Going across border. Yeah, in or out of a country. And you always talked about what was in your head and the ideas not being able to be both documented and taxed that way. You want to elaborate on that a little bit? Because I think it's relevant here. You know, for close to 30 years, we've been going back and forth between Toronto and Chicago, Babs and I. And, you know, you go across the border two ways and they have customs officials. And I mean, it's a little bit speeded up now because you have eyeball scan and you have fingerprints and everything else. But if they pulled you over, they'd ask you the same thing in 2021, as they asked in 1991, they'd ask, do you have any alcohol, have any tobacco? And I'm saying, you're missing the big game here. Thankfully, you're missing the big game here. There's ideas, there's ideas going across. And my sense is that just think about Zoom as a medium where 500 million, I, I got a feeling that Zoom is mostly business. I don't think it's personal gossip or anything like that. My feeling is that this medium is really being used for business and all sorts of new businesses have been created since last year on this medium. And nobody wants to draw attention to it that it's absolutely free. You know, we pay the enterprise price for it, but it's nothing compared with what you can get. And so my sense is, Steve, that what you did of shifting your investment model over the last year, you wouldn't have even thought about doing this if you hadn't had this communication medium. You couldn't have because we're able to invest now all around the world in entrepreneurs, transforming healthcare, thinking differently than the next entrepreneur in a particular area because of the region they're from and what they can read or access and communicate. And so you know, it's interesting. You can reach investors, you can reach entrepreneurs, you can talk to people and feel a connection with people that you weren't previously able to feel connected to. And so now I see, you know, I used to talk about just building a global army of entrepreneurs who are committed to transforming healthcare. I now think it's a global army of entrepreneurs and investors who are, you know, committed and ambitious to do this together. And it's actually the missing piece of it. And the idea that everyone's willing to do it using this new medium 
or this medium, I should say, to do yeah. the transaction is really, really a game changer. Remember, uh, Nick, when you came to Toronto and we did our event at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, we had a nice room and we showed the video that you had created, the documentary that you created on me. And we were going and I said, you know, I'm going to get 15 people for you. So that was before you were in free zone. That was before you were in the free zone. Is there anyone that you've met in the free zone that wouldn't lend itself to one of your videos? No, <laughs> no, not at all. Well, I just want to let you know that's where the 15 are coming from that I was going to introduce you to. <laughs> that sounds good. Think about next 25 years that you have the free zone packaging company that you're packaging free zone ideas. I mean, not just the people who are in our program, but just that you have criteria that the only people that you really want to capture their experience are people in the free zone. And the reason is they're the only person who are operating free from all sorts of natural obstacles like taxation and regulation and competition and seasonality that everybody in the free zone can stay with their model for as long as they want to stay with it. There's unlimited potential because it's all exponential because, you know, it's not adding people's abilities, it's multiplying their abilities. You know, when we, when Steve and I partnered up on a, a unique collaboration, it's, you know, he does things I could never do and I do things he doesn't do. And you come up with something totally new. And then as we all learn to collaborate even better, I'm sure there'll be, you know, three and four and five way collaborations that will, will blow my mind. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, just think about it. The governments have voracious appetites for tax money and regulatory money and everything else. How do they tax Zoom? How do they regulate Zoom? They're going to make some sort of rule that <laughs> that tries to, but it's a tough one. I mean, you know, the idea is obviously one thing, but the output, it, it just as you were saying that with your accounting firm, I'm sure that there's going to be a ruling that if the person collecting the money and who sent out the originating Zoom link, they're going to have to come up with all sorts of crazy ways to try. But yeah, the value being created, they can't tax, which is fun. Yeah. Where you live, where you do business, I think, you know, no, I mean, we have to pay Canadian taxes. Right, which has shifted, though. Like, you could live anywhere and operate anywhere. And we had two startup health villages, one in New York and one in San Francisco. Shut them down last April with no plan on opening them back up. We were doing it at WeWork already, very flexible. But we now have a team spread out all around the country, all around the United States. We have companies in 26 different countries. And what's really you know fascinating about how the last year has transformed how people think about where they want to live and do business. And that idea of whether you want to do it in a low cost or lower cost or tax state or city or country is now up to you. And I think that is going to translate into over the next five years, lots of changes in where people are building their businesses and living their lives because there's no longer a lock to live in a place where the talent is yep. or operate the business where the talent is. It's where does the owner or the owners of the company want to mm -hmm. reside? Even if it's going to cost more, it's still their choice. So yep. freedom of where you want to live and operate is now yeah. reality. We have a cottage about two and a half hours north of Toronto. They haven't been as locked down in those areas as we've been here in Toronto. 
we were at a restaurant, nice restaurant, I mean, for the area, a really good restaurant. We were talking to one of the owners, and she was saying that when the school shut down in the spring, they shut down in March of 2020, but they did open in September, that they shut down with 600 students, but they opened up with 960 students. And that's a 60% increase in your student body. And she said, this is not temporary. People have just moved to where they vacation and now their children are going to school there. And my feeling is that if you look at it in a big scale, like all of Canada, or you look at all of the United States, the United States is really interesting that over the next 20 years, you will not have seen a demographic shift in the United States since the interstate highway systems went in and you know, in the 1950s, 1940s, 1950s, the interstate highway system, that there's just a shift of population where the whole notion that we have to live where we work has been shifted to we can now work where we like to live. Yeah. What do you think it looks like over the next 10, 20 years as a result of that? I think the middle of the United States fills in. Hmm. First of all, the land's a lot cheaper. First of all, any amount of land that you want to have. My feeling is that Americans, when they go through their 20s, they like to be in big cities because it's kind of a continuation of dorm life. Big cities are like a continuation of college life and dorm life, you know. But when they get married, they start thinking, you know, first of all, it costs too much to raise children in the city. Schooling is really, really expensive, and they don't get the space and everything else. And I think that there's an availability now with the virtual economy where, you know, you can go, you know, like Tennessee is a real hot spot right now. People want to move to Tennessee. Around Nashville, you know, the Smoky Mountains and everything like that. And land's a lot cheaper, but once you get out to the Great Plains, which were more or less emptied out because of industrialization, I think that you're going to see popping up in the next 25 years, cities of 25, 30, 40,000 people. They have great schools. Everybody's got land. You can have your whole family there. You know, great hospitals because they'll be new. Everything's going to be new. So my sense is that there will be quite a shift. Yep. Yeah. And they don't need to necessarily be near airports or other transportation that they typically had to be near to be able to be in business because of the accessibility of Zoom-like travel for work. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is that there's a lot of airports in the United States that are local airports that are being paved now, and they're putting in electronics for the airports because the CEOs are now flying private jets. Henry Lachlan, who's been in the program for about 20 years, he maintains airports, he manages private airports, and he also sells jets. And he said, no matter what company I'm talking about, whether it's Bombardier or Gulfstream or anything, he says, they're all sold out for the next three years. Every private jet that they've made is sold out. As a matter of fact, he was at a trade show in Jeff Bezos, there's a new Gulfstream model. And Jeff Bezos came to the booth and he said, I'd like to talk about getting one of this model. And he says, don't have anything for you for two and a half years. Now, there's a humor to this because I'm sure if Jeff Bezos wants to get (laughs) anything he wants to get, he can get. 
But Jeff Bezos sat there and he said, how much do you want for your company? <laughs> you know, sort of a joke. But the whole point is, my feeling is that this is going to be the great age for private jet travel. People still want to fly. They just don't want to go to a LaGuardia to do it. You know, they'll live somewhere smallish. Yep. They got an airport there. And, you know. More democratization of access. Yeah. And this is profound. Psychologically, it's profound. Sociologically, it's profound and everything. But I think it's a good thing. I think generally there's positives in this. So I know we're coming up on the hour or the half hour, I should say, Mark. What's your biggest insight coming out of this conversation, Dan? Ask you the same question, Nick, and we'll wrap up. Yeah, I think the biggest thing I'm getting from Nick and also your example of how you're doing your 365 contact, and we're doing that too. We've probably certainly doubled, if not tripled, our amount of events that people can now touch base with us. But I think the thing that Nick, you're talking about, Media is just something that you do all the time every day. Yep. Yep. It's not like one production a year or one big event every two years. It's just something that you do every day. Yeah. And where people get lost is, I think, trying to do it all themselves. You know, stay within unique ability there. You have people who, like, there's no way I'm going to spend time even posting them on social media. Someone's doing that for me. Someone's editing them. Someone's, you know, all that stuff. Mm. And so what I'm getting out is unique ability is even more valuable now because we have so much of the noise was removed for us. All those hours people got back, lack of driving, lack of, so now you're actually even more valuable when you strip away all the noise. And so I think digging deeper in that and finding, you know, finding those collaborations that really make sense and where you can provide something newer and better to the world. And I also think that there's some companies you talked about, like private jet companies, others who, you know, sort of got lucky, just happened to be positioned for a boon. I mean, people who sold toilet paper. I mean, there's many examples, but I think by this point, you have the opportunity to shift to become something that's really valuable to people in this sort of post-COVID, hopefully, or this new economy we're in, and everyone had that same economy. That was democratized over the last 15 months. And if you haven't already found what it is, that thing that's going to, where this new way of operating is going to give you, you know, rocket fuel, you better continue to look quickly because others are finding it and you're just not seeing it yet. Mm -hmm. You know, I wonder, this is kind of my insight, but I wonder how much would be different if this had been five years earlier or 10 years earlier, a pandemic that occurred when the mRNA technology wasn't quite ready, nor ability to scale there, or this technology wasn't available, or all the things that we've been able to take advantage of weren't available. Really, if you think about 100 years from the last pandemic of this scale, and what would have happened if this was 1990 or five or 2005, and how blessed and lucky we are that it wasn't and that it was in a moment where we could take our resources to a higher level of productivity as a result. So, well, I can tell you what it would have been like. It would have been like the Spanish flu epidemic. Yeah. 50 million died in the Spanish. We're above three worldwide. That's 50 million against a much smaller global population. That's what it would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, Grateful to be able to spend time with both of you, as always. I know we get to do it at least once a quarter, but this is really wonderful. And Nick, I'm really excited to see how 
your business transforms over the next year or two as a result of what you've done over the last year. So yeah, great stuff and look forward to seeing you next month at the workshop. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Nick, I'm going to check in with you of creating the true thinking tool for the free zone workshop. <laughs> Let me get on that. Yeah. Well, I'll talk it through. I'll have Gord. We'll send it off. Please. And, you know, I'm pretty good at coming up with tools pretty quickly. But the thing I did with Dean with the VCR, the vision, it was really, really terrific. That really worked really well. So I would love my own version of VCR. So send it along. And uh, thank you, you guys for having me. It's always a pleasure. Good. Thank you.